0: Good day, everyone. Hope you're having a great day enjoying the blessings of the Lord, and being enriched by His grace. Welcome to another edition of the Practicology Podcast. This is episode 70 with Mike and Matthew. How are y'all doing in Manitoba, Mike?
1: We're doing great. A little bit gloomy today, uh, weather-wise, but I thank the Lord that I'm rejoicing in my heart.
0: Amen. So am I. I'm glad that you're rejoicing too. Mike, you and I each have families, Esther and I have sons and daughters, you and Helen have daughters, and we've spoken together on episode 65 about the subject of friendship and how we can try and put our children in good environments to have good friends. But of course, we can't actually ultimately choose who they become friends with, right? Sure. Yeah, that's true. But Mike, do you ever think you might like to choose your daughter's future husband's? I mean, neither of us believe, I don't think that it is essential that they be married. Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians 7, for example, that singleness can be a valuable calling in which to serve the Lord. But if they are to be married, do you ever think it might be high time to bring about some changes in Western culture and reintroduce arranged marriages into the common practice of the church?
1: Absolutely. It's very tempting. And I think I'm gonna have a series of podcasts on it to try and change the culture a bit.
0: All right. I will I will look forward to that. I'll participate in them with you. I might not say much, but I'll I'll listen to you for sure. Uh, the concept does seem kind of foreign to our way of thinking in our culture today, but it was common in Bible times and it's it's in the background of our look at the local church this week. We try to be all about showing the practical import of biblical theology on the practicology podcast. And of late, we've been looking at the practical theology of the local church by considering some of the figures that Scripture gives us for a a New Testament assembly, a New Testament church. How do these metaphors help us understand what the church should look like practically and how it should function?
1: Yeah, and you're going through these uh, episodes and metaphors, Matthew, so that we can grow into healthier churches. The, The New Testament model doesn't need correction or adjustment but in our, in our real local churches that we're part of, we do sometimes need correction. We need adjustment. So it's always good for us to come back to hear what the Spirit says in the Bible and to learn from it. So far, uh, you've shown us that the local church is a garden, then a temple, a body, and then God's household. That's episodes 62, 64, 66. And sixty-eight. Where are you going today, Matthew?
0: Today, we're talking about the metaphor that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 11. That, again, is going to reveal a great passion that the apostle had for the local church, a real spiritual burden for him.
1: Well, that sounds good. Uh, Matthew, you know that um, you were thinking about two different roads to go down with this series, and I encourage you to do uh, the series on the church that you're doing right now because I, I feel that for myself and for lots of us, our heart attitude towards the local church still needs to be repaired some. So I'm hoping that your study today will help us uh, just increase our appreciation and, and love for the church even more.
0: Me too. And here's the words of 2 Corinthians 11 that explain my introductory question to you about you choosing to whom you would present your daughter in marriage. That's the figure Paul is using. He is the father of the bride, the bride being the local church in Corinth. He says, I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, do put up with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, because I have promised you in marriage, I have betrothed you to one husband, to present you a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ.
1: So, our metaphor for today here is the metaphor of the church as a pure virgin. Paul is looking at the church as a pure virgin, and that makes Paul the father of the bride. Uh, I see I see exactly where you're going with your question, Matthew. Paul is the father of the bride, and his concern is to see the church maintain its purity all the way until she's united with Christ.
0: Exactly. And brothers and sisters, did you catch how great a concern this is to Paul, how much of a burden he felt for the church of God. He speaks of having a godly, a divine jealousy. In other words, Paul's saying, I am feeling the emotions of God over this church. My heart is beating in harmony with God's heart for this assembly. That's a great example for us in the love, the passion, the spiritual burden that we should have for the church of God in which he has placed us, a divine jealousy. Think back to Exodus 34. Exodus 34. Um, God says, you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, there's a a difference between jealousy and envy. We don't use the word envy as much. Um, Envy is when I want something that is currently owned by someone else, and I'm, I'm feeling maybe angry that I don't have what they have, whereas jealousy is something that rightfully belongs to me and I see someone else taking it or using it or wanting it. God is justifiably jealous for his people because we belong to him. And Paul is feeling that emotion of God for the church in Corinth. Admittedly, he had a relationship with that church that most of us Do not have with the local churches of which we're a part in that he was, you know, 1 Corinthians 4, he was their father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He says, you have many guides, but not many fathers. But it is a healthy attitude of commitment and care for all of us to feel, I think, towards the believers where we fellowship a divine jealousy for the church to remain pure in its devotion to Christ.
1: Yeah, and, and in order to understand what Paul is saying here, we we do need to remember what you explained at the beginning there, Matthew, that it was the practice of, of the ancient Bible cultures and, and some cultures today too, that parents would arrange the marriage of their children. That period leading up to the marriage then, what, what you read as a promise of marriage, was was more formal than our voluntarily entered into engagements today. These were betrothals, uh, contractual relationships in which the father was committing to the other family to present his daughter in virgin purity onto the bridegroom.
0: Right, so Paul's concern is that the local church will be preserved in virgin purity for Christ, her bridegroom. So this divine jealousy of Paul is obviously not a selfish thing. It's about giving to Christ what Christ deserves. The church was not betrothed to Paul. Paul isn't fighting for his own prominence. He wants to see joy in the face of Christ when Christ receives his bride. He's like John the Baptist here. Remember when John said, he, Christ must increase, I must decrease. Christ is the bridegroom, not me. That's what Paul's saying. Christ is the bridegroom, not me. My concern is that Christ will receive his rightful portion from this church.
1: I think you've been expressing that concern well in these podcast episodes, Matthew. Uh, that the local churches are for christ the the church is precious and valuable to christ it is his body the church is god's household the pillar and buttress of the truth and and then it's the truth about the mystery of godliness in christ that paul immediately highlights the church is a garden it's to bear fruit for god the church is a building and we need to remember that the foundation of the building is jesus christ it's the gospel of christ crucified that we build upon. So uh, that's a summary of some of the episodes you've done recently, but basically the Lord Jesus Christ is what it's all about.
0: Amen. And one of these days, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to give a shout and we'll be presented to him. But Paul says in verse three, I am afraid. And his fear is that with serpent like trickery, false teachers are going to corrupt the church's beliefs. That's his fear that serpent like trickery, is going to be used by these false teachers to corrupt the church's beliefs. These false apostles who presented themselves as super apostles, preached another Jesus, another gospel. Hey, if you and I embrace another, then our devotion to the one we have is tarnished. If I embrace someone else, my devotion to the one that I have is tarnished. Now, you may say, well, I I don't think our local church is on the verge of embracing another Jesus. I don't think we're on the verge of imbibing a different gospel. Well, I'm glad to hear that, but we should be clear. Just as Satan attacked Eve and attacked Corinth, he would love to do the same thing in your local church. We have no special status that makes us impervious to the threat of false teaching. We always need to be consciously sticking to apostolic doctrine.
1: That's a needed warning, Matthew. And, and yeah, the teaching that is given in the church is so important. And uh, I think you're really getting into the significance of this metaphor, because the seduction and corruption that concerns Paul here in 2 Corinthians 11 is is not an issue of immorality, but as you said, it's it's an issue of doctrine.
0: Right, because the context shows he's contrasting himself with these false apostles and the different gospel they were bringing. He says in verse 3, his concern is that their minds may be seduced. It's what they're thinking that is important. Now, Our emotions are an important part of who we are. I just said a few moments ago that Paul was, was feeling the emotions of God For this church. So, God also has emotions. He has made us as emotional creatures. But Christianity is certainly not just about feelings and experiences. It's about your mind. Love God with your mind. It's about what you think and what you believe. Because what you believe determines how you behave. You can tell what I really believe about the Lord Jesus by seeing how I live my life. I mean, you can tell what I really believe about almost anything by my behavior. You can, (laughs) I can tell you all I want about eating healthy, but you can see what I really believe about eating healthy by watching me eat for a week. You can tell what I really believe about the value and importance of, of Christian fellowship by how I seek it out. So my belief dictates my behavior. So what a church believes and teaches is important. No assembly can actually control what everybody believes, but we can certainly determine what gets taught. In the local church where I fellowship, Mike, uh, there's a statement of faith that reflects, I would say, just like the bare fundamentals of the gospel, basic truth of God and how the Mm -hmm. Bible is our guide. Every believer surely holds to that. But then we've also produced a more detailed document that has been very useful, particularly in going through with believers who've come from other church traditions and have an interest in the fellowship here. And this document has been a great discussion guide. It, It enables us to talk through some things up front. Instead of just waiting to see down the road what they believe or waiting to see if controversy on these issues comes up down the line, let's, let's talk about the truth that we teach here in this local church up front. Maybe not everyone is fully convinced of every detail of the truth that we stand for, but in becoming part of the fellowship, they are agreeing to submit to that teaching. The reason, another reason I bring that up, though, is that uh, we follow the example of what I've heard from another church. We don't call that document what we believe but what we teach. A preacher in that other church said, Not everyone in the church believes all this statement yet. So we can't say it's what the church believes, but it is what the church teaches. So, on the one hand, we can't control what everyone believes, but obviously, what, what people believe is going to depend largely on what people here taught. And while we can't control what the Lord's people may listen to outside of the meetings of the church, we can determine the teaching they receive in the church. And the teaching is important.
1: Well, that's a great example, Matthew, of how these lessons that you're doing on the church can be applied practically. And and I love that idea. I think it's very wise to uh, go through some of that teaching with uh, prospective members. Someone, uh, a young sister I know, has recently been received into the fellowship of her church, and they did the same thing with her. Uh, some, it, it, one of the beauties of it is just that someone older would sort of spend time with her. And so not only was it uh, imparting to her the doctrinal expectations of what would be taught, but also um, sort of getting a jump start on forming a good relationship between another sister and this younger sister.
0: That's a good example. Yeah. And we've had some great conversations come out of this discussion document too. It's not a guarantee that it's going to preserve us from doctrinal problems, obviously, but it has been helpful. Let me bring another practical application from this too. The Spirit is making the point in Second Corinthians 11 that What we believe affects our devotion to Christ. In the imagery of Paul's figure, imbibing bad teaching is like betraying our pledge to Christ. It's like a young woman engaged to one young man and allowing herself to be seduced into the beds of other men. How would you feel if you were the young man to whom she was engaged? Well, how would Christ feel if we move away from the gospel after he went to such extent to give us the gospel of grace and then we went and we then betray his trust of the gospel. So the other practical application here that I'm thinking of is that regular gospel preaching is so healthy for all of us. And that's preaching the truth of the gospel to unbelievers and believers. It helps keep us from going astray on the most basic thing that we share Uh, if a brother in our church who preaches sometimes starts to develop some strange ideas about the gospel, we're going to find out because we're going to hear his gospel preaching. So it's a healthy preservative for us in that way as well. And as the apostles doctrine is an outworking of the gospel, regular gospel preaching helps to preserve the church in the purity of its doctrinal commitment to Christ.
1: I love it. I'm all for it, Matthew. Uh, These are great practical examples of how what the local church teaches and believes is so important. All right, good. I'm glad to
0: hear you are all for that, Mike. Thank you. And if what we teach is so important, then a second lesson I'm taking today, not only is the truth that is taught in the local church important, but therefore part of being a healthy local church is to strive for better teaching. Now, bear with me, listeners. I'm not bemoaning what you and I are regularly taught. Many of us can reflect on a very rich heritage of sound teaching treasuring an orthodoxy of doctrine about Christ about the gospel about the church about holy living one of my concerns though is a thinking that because just because we are in receipt of a great body of truth that that somehow confers confers a status upon us that because we have the truth that's all that matters no we need to keep believing the truth keep practicing the truth Keep coming back to the scriptures as our judge and guide of the truth. Keep learning. And then we need to teach all that truth in a fresh, relevant, and effective manner. How do we get there? Well, for those who may teach the word of God in in the local church a little bit, obviously fundamental to this is is the regular study of the scriptures and time with God. Mm -hmm. Reading other good books will help as well. The remaining anchor supremely in scripture all of that is going to take time. There's no shortcut to that, but uh, the people of God are worth it. Preserving the church of God in its understanding of truth and devotion to Christ is worth it. Let me just give you three little basic basic keys for effective preaching. I'm borrowing this, I think, from G. Campbell Morgan now on three keys to a sermon. He said they are truth, clarity, and passion. I read that a long time ago, and that has stuck with me. Truth, clarity, and passion. Truth. In other words, give food from the Bible. That's that's our source of truth. Clarity. When you give a message in the local church, do you know what you're really trying to communicate? If I don't clearly know what I want to get across, what are the chances that the audience will? And here's a valuable question to ask yourself in your preparation. Ask yourself the so what question how does this study of mine really matter? Okay, I've I've done all my studying. I've got my notes all organized. So what? How are my words going to actually affect anyone's life? Do I have a main point in my message? If you don't have a main point, they're probably not going to get a main point. My main point in our podcast today, by the way, is that the teaching in the church is important. Truth, clarity, and passion. And I don't mean you need to be a, a charismatic speaker or that you need to raise your voice a lot. What I simply mean is, has it gripped your heart? How can I expect it to grip the heart of others and change their lives if it hasn't really meant something to me? This is a living word we're handling. So let it let it pierce our hearts and then tell it to others from your heart. Truth, clarity, and passion. And I'll add a fourth in in the context of 2 Corinthians 11, remain tethered to Christ and the gospel. Remain tethered to Christ and the gospel. Good teaching should strengthen our devotion to Christ. I'm also going to add a word of caution, though, here from 2 Corinthians 11. There can be a risk in wanting better teachers. Just consider the situation in Corinth. Paul brought them the gospel. He sees them established in the basics of their faith. Now, others have come along with, with more style, maybe. They've got some novel ideas. Maybe they're more skilled in speaking. Paul was doubtless a mighty man in the scriptures, but it does seem in verse 6 that he was less skilled in speaking. But he knew the truth of God, and he had a life that matched it. Just be careful about latching on to someone or something just because it is Novel very possible for people who are raised in a doctrinally protective environment to suffer from the pendulum effect where they go from having this false sense that everything out there is bad to thinking that everything out there is wonderful just cuz it's new and they haven't heard it before of course neither are true but remember the church doesn't gather to the teacher the pastor the preacher but to Christ ephesus was a very privileged New Testament church. They had Paul among them. They had Timothy among them. They had John among them. No wonder they get that commendation in Revelation chapter two about their uh, loyalty of faith, loyalty of doctrine, but then they're rebuked for misplacing Christ. The church is to be a pure virgin promised in marriage, not to a preacher, but to Christ. I'm not trying to knock gifted preachers and, uh, I don't want to undo everything that I've been saying in this podcast already by minimizing teaching. But having a superstar preacher or pastor doesn't automatically resolve the issue of the church remaining pure in her devotion to Christ. Value good teaching, but don't let your desire for good teachers override your desire for the bridegroom who is Christ.
1: Mm -hmm. I really appreciate the balance you're striking here, Matthew. Uh, You're keeping us Christ-centered while also reminding us that the pulpit is important and uh the pulpit is important i mean the amount of time we hear teaching from from the pulpit in a week versus the amount of time we hear messaging from the culture around us is minuscule and that in itself is a reminder that that time that we do sit under the teaching of god's word is is incredibly precious and valuable and uh and we want that time to be used for maximum effect we don't want that time wasted
0: Good point. Absolutely. And, and that reflects another long held concern of mine, Mike, that the schedule of many local churches concerns me sometimes because we, the schedule isn't always commodious to effective pulpit ministry and some local churches, the, the only preaching that some people hear most weeks is a very brief devotional word just after the saints have taken the Lord's supper. And that's it. Um, maybe there is another teaching meeting. Uh, following that. But perhaps you're missing a significant number of your church from that meeting because maybe maybe they're teaching Sunday school. And that's a very valuable work too. I'm thankful for our Sunday school teachers. Often though, those are younger believers whom we would love to have hearing the teaching from the pulpit too. So it's a problem. There's quite possibly a midweek teaching meeting in the church, but not everybody's there, are they? And likely it's most often a Bible reading or a Bible study. I'm not against a good Bible study. I love it. Having a Bible study doesn't automatically mean you're having a good Bible study, by the way. And preaching can be a a great blessing for people to hear. So I haven't given you a solution here. I'm just encouraging local churches to be aware of the challenge and to think about how you can creatively meet that need in your own context. Maybe it's with some special teaching meetings. Maybe there's a potential schedule adjustment. Or, hey, maybe it's an unissue where you are. Praise the Lord. That's wonderful. Let me just encourage you to value the times we do have to get teaching from the Word. Esteem them highly. Uh, Attempt to make them profitable and attempt to profit from them when you're listening. Make the book live to me, O God. Show me yourself within your Word. Show me myself and show me the Savior and make the book live to me.
1: Excellent, Matthew. Thank you very much again for taking us through another episode on the church. The teaching, the teaching of the church. That's what you've emphasized. Paul is a great example for us here. He's like the father of a bride and he's so concerned for the purity of doctrine and devotion in the church. May all of us who labor in teaching and preaching to God's people have that same heart. And if I could just squeeze one more tip in from, uh, to add to G. Campbell Morgan's uh, truth, clarity, passion, um, and, and also people. I, I think one of the ways that we can get good at at making our preaching meaningful and and be able to answer the so what's the point question is by being close to God's people and knowing the needs of their heart. Being like Paul, caring for the well being of the bride, caring for the glory of Christ. Thank you, Matthew, for this and. Uh, We'll look forward to having you back with us next week at the Practicology Podcast.